You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. We're starting a new series tonight on an hour for armor. And we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare and the need to be equipped and aware and discerning and ready in the day and hour in which we live. And it's a very serious topic, and I'll be honest with you, as you study it, it can almost kind of be a scary topic. Because the more you look into the, the topic, the more I'm afraid you might invite that into your life. And uh, it's a very real thing for every single one of us, not just the preacher and not just the evangelist or the missionary or the quote-unquote, great Christian. Everybody who's saved is involved in a spiritual struggle. And it's not just seasonally. It is every single day and every single moment of the day that you live. And if we're going to make it to the finish line, be able to say, I finished my course with joy and not be a shipwreck or a casualty, we're going to have to be ready to be in Christian combat every single day. And I want us to look at this truth tonight. Have you ever noticed... Let me give you this real quick and get out of the way. Many of you have texted me and emailed me. I think it's okay to give the update on my dad. And uh, I try to respond to everybody who's sent me something, and if I didn't, I'm sorry. But my dad got to go home today, and that was a miracle. And the doctor reiterated that today and said, you should be dead, basically. And uh, his, they lost his heartbeat four times in the hospital and two times at the house before he ever got to the hospital. And uh, so they told us Saturday night he probably wouldn't live, and then by Sunday morning he was up and talking and watching football. He should have been in church, you know. But anyway, I mean, just backslidden as can be. But uh, he's home now. But the thing is, they said he only has 52 per, 52% of his heart functioning. So he's got a long way to go, but thank you for praying. And he doesn't even know how many people around, neither do I, around the world, country, were praying for him. And I appreciate your prayers. I asked mom, I said, do you think that's going to change him? And she said, what do you mean? I said, he's going to be like Billy Graham now, you know, near-death experience. And she goes, no, <laughs> he's the same. She said, but he did tell his nurse to listen to KNVBC. So that's a pretty good start, yeah. I guess, right? Ephesians chapter number 6. Look with me here at verse number 12. And then we'll go to Job chapter number 1 quickly. And I want to get into this and don't want to take up a whole lot of time uh, just in preliminaries. Look at what it says in verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's no question about it that every single one of us we're in a battle. In the Old Testament, there was constant battle physically. There was also battle spiritually. But the Old Testament gives us a good picture of the New Testament Christian. As they battled physically to conquer and inherit and inhabit Canaan land, you and I are going to have to battle to stay on top side in the Christian life. I want you to look with me now at Job, and we're just going to read the first six verses because I know you know the story, but it'll, it'll, it'll get us into the thought. Here's what it said in verse number one. Job Right before the book of Psalms is the book of Job. Or if you're from where I'm from, the book of Job. <laughs> it's the only one anybody has there. All right, Job chapter number one. Look what it says. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses. And a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. 
And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. That is spiritual wickedness in a high place. And Job's life is about to take a turn, and Job is about to be thrust onto the field of spiritual warfare. I don't know if you ever noticed, but it's really popular now. Everywhere you go in the store and the new movies, and it's always superhero stuff, but the story is always good versus evil. Even the world has some sort of an idea that there is an ultimate source of good, and there's an ultimate source of evil. And those two forces are constantly combating one another. Last Wednesday, after the first day of school, I took Lincoln out for lunch, and I said, you just pick wherever you want to go eat. There's nothing to, I mean, if it's Fogo de Chow or whatever, he said, Denny's. I said, all right, Denny's. So we went to Denny's. And uh, my family has no history of any heart trouble or anything, so we just go to Denny's. So we went to Denny's. We got a plate of bacon and a side of syrup and things, but... But, but we, were in, we were in Denny's, and there was a man there, and at first he was quiet, and he was right near us on a bench, not in a table. He was a homeless individual. But as he sat there, after a while, he got agitated and irritated, and he got up and began to walk in circles right there in the lobby. Now, Denny's, I know, is a high-class establishment. I couldn't imagine they'd let that happen in Denny's. He might have been the owner of Denny's. I don't know. But anyway, he, he was walking in... The food kind of tasted like maybe he was, the, the, anyway, the cook there. But uh, he walked in, and then he began to, seriously began to growl and talk to somebody. It scared the death out of Lincoln. And we moved to a different table. But I thought about that. You know, a lot of those kind of people, we say, that's a crazy individual. They've lost their mind. I think there's spiritual wickedness working in our world today. Sing that song as kids, I may never march in the infantry. Well, you better. Because you are in the Lord's army tonight. I want you to look at this. Hebrews 11, verse 36. Don't turn there. Let me read it to you. It says, And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. 1 Timothy 1.18 says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. 2 Timothy 2.3, Paul said, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 8, the wise man said this, There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war. Christianity is warfare. There is no easy day. There are no safe assignments. Every person who is saved is constantly engaged in a very real, very dangerous, and very heated battle. The Bible tells us to put on the whole armor of God. Men are not called on to wear armor in days of peace. They're commanded to put on armor in days of battle. You look into your Bible and you study out the heroes of Scripture. 
Every one of them was battered and bruised and bloodied on the spiritual battlefield. They did not stroll into glory. They fought their way through hell to step into glory. Life in wartime is far different than life in peacetime. The Old Testament prophet was a man that was no stranger to enemy fire. They were all acquainted with the roar of the lion and the fierceness of the fight. I think if you were to look over their body, you'd see scars. If you could see their clothing, it'd be sackcloth. If you watched their life, it'd be filled with sorrow and the snares of the devil. Paul testified and said he'd fought a good fight. And we emphasize that, but don't miss it. He fought a fight. Every single day of his life was characterized by a battle. And tonight, Christianity that truly seeks to know Christ and Christianity that tries to line up with the Bible is not for spiritual sissies or those that are unaware, but it is for those who are spiritual soldiers of the cross and walking circumspectly and having their head on a swivel. You study the lives of the apostles. Every single one of them was persecuted and all of them but one was martyred for their faith. The only man that escaped martyrdom for his faith was the Apostle John, and he did not escape free. John was filleted and boiled alive and then exiled to Patmos and served hard time in isolation. It was no pleasure cruise. It was no peacetime lifestyle. There were no parades or popularity or public applause. In heaven, you'll find out that those men endured. Now in heaven, thank God, we can live like princes in the king's throne room. But down here, we must live like soldiers in the trenches on the battlefield. In Hebrews 10, the Bible said, You were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. 2 Timothy 3 and 12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In the model prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he said, deliver us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he's not talking about simply deliver us from committing evil, but deliver us from the evil that works in the world and seeks to take down the Christian. The spiritual Christian can expect scorn. The spiritual Christian can expect ridicule. They can expect loneliness. They can expect temptation. They can expect trials. And they can expect to wrestle. Tonight, there is no neutrality. There is no truce that will be reached in this conflict. You cannot be some conscientious objector. Every one of us tonight, if you're saved, we're in a battle. In this world, the Christian has found the wooden stock to be his clerical collar. He's found prison chains to be his jewelry. He's found desert places to be his abode. He's found the arena is the only avenue through which he can bring any pleasure to this world. All of hell looks down upon the Christian waiting for our demise. It's a battle. It is warfare. It is constant wrestling. One of the church fathers said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's amazing to me, you like to quote these Christian quotes and so do I, but we must realize that many of the greatest quotes that we quote in Christianity came from a burning stake in the final breath of an individual that was martyred for their faith. Our Savior left us with the expectation and example to follow. The greatest individual to ever step foot on this planet. The one who came to seek and save that which was lost and provide peace to those lost in the darkness of sin was hated and reviled and mocked and maligned. He was accused. He was slandered. He was lied on. He was poor. He was homeless. He was misunderstood. And ultimately Jesus was taken and fastened to rough timber by long Roman nails. And he was crucified for being the Savior. And the world watched on and laughed and loved every single moment of it. Don't get it twisted this evening. Christianity is not popular. 
It never has been and never will be if you want to be a biblical Christian. Christians aren't promised any kind of ease or any kind of acceptance in this world. Every step you take here, you're taking in an atmosphere that is anti-Christ, anti-God, and it's all absolutely enemy territory. John 15 and verse 18 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And tonight we live and we raise our families and we work our job and we attend church and every day we operate in a place that hates every single thing about us. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, For we wrestle. Now, I want you to notice the Christian life is defined by wrestling. It's just how it is. There is no escaping it. The Christian life is wrestling. But notice what it says. We wrestle. It doesn't just say some wrestle. It doesn't say you might wrestle. But every single saved individual will be engaged in spiritual combat. Every father, every mother, every young person, everyone who is saved, we wrestle. I thought about wrestling. Wrestling is a constant conflict. No break there. Wrestling is physical conflict. You'll give it everything you've got. Wrestling is mental conflict. If you lose the mind up here, you've lost it on the mat. Wrestling is emotional conflict. Think about it on the battlefield. When a soldier is engaged in wrestling, it means that it's him versus his adversary. It is a singular battle. It is personal warfare. All of us wrestle, but all of us wrestle alone. No matter how many fellow soldiers are on the battlefield, if the enemy is so close that you must wrestle. That means you're not firing from a distance. You're not hiding behind a wall. You're not cowering in a trench. But you are close enough to see the sweat running down his brow. Feel his hot breath upon your skin. There is no safety. It is flesh on flesh. It is fist on fist. It is man versus man. It is live or die on an individual level. And that is how the Bible describes your conflict and my conflict every single day with spiritual wickedness. That's where we're living today. Every Christian is on the battlefield of life, and there's an enemy that engages us corporately. I understand that as a church, but he also engages all of us individually. We wrestle. Every spiritual man wrestles. Every spiritual woman wrestles. Every spiritual young person wrestles. But if you read further into that verse in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, it exposes our rival. It says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In Matthew 25, Jesus spoke about the devil and his angels. Jesus warned Peter and said, Satan hath desired to have you. Tonight it is utmost of utmost importance that we look beyond the enemy we think we fight and see the enemy that we cannot see. Martin Luther said, I believe in the devil. I battled him this morning. The Christian life is a spiritual life. And I want you to know your enemy tonight is a spiritual enemy. There is an unseen army that causes all kinds of seen destruction around us and upon us every single day. They're intelligent. They're powerful. They're evil. They watch us. They afflict. They oppress. They steal. And they torment. I won't get real deep into this. Maybe Pastor will cover that on one of these Sunday nights. But the hordes of hell are hard at work in this world. The devil and his demons. Now think of this. They do not play games. They are not casual. And unlike Christians, they do not compromise. They incessantly seek to shipwreck the lives 
lives of God's children. Spiritual wickedness is very real and it's very powerful. It is constant, it is unending, it is insidious, and it is unrelenting. It works from the lowest level of society, the sought on the sidewalk, to the highest levels of government, those sitting in offices with much power. It operates through our media, it works through our culture, it moves on us through our thoughts, it attacks us in the area of truth, it attacks godliness, it attacks common decency every single moment of the day. Tonight you must realize that you are no better and I am no better than others throughout history that have their blood strewn across the spiritual battlefield because they were not ready for combat, they were not armored in the hour and they fell victim to the adversary. There is blood tonight in homes and blood tonight in churches and blood tonight in prayer clauses because Christians were not aware of their adversary. This is an hour of very intense and very real spiritual warfare. I'm not wanting to be spooky. I know we can get off into that, but I couldn't help to think that as I was preparing for this series, that's when our world got turned upside down with the thing that happened with my dad. I'm not saying the devil did that. I'm just saying the devil knows what he's doing. Say amen right there. Your life is well. Can I say he's up to no good? And what an hour it is. We must be in submission to the Holy Spirit of God. First John and 2 8 says, Little children, it's the last time. And as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now, there are many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. I don't know if the Antichrist is here yet or not. He might be somewhere and just not come to power. I know we'll be out before he does. But I do know this truth. There are many antichrist at work in our world today. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. 1 John 4, 1, beloved, believe not every spirit. There's more than one spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Tonight, the spirit of antichrist proceeds the coming of the Antichrist. And what will be manifested in human form is already at work in the spiritual realm. That is why we see so much apostasy in so-called Christianity. That explains, I'm not even trying to be funny, that explains Joel Osteen, the popularity of people that, 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 that pervert the gospel. That explains the apathy among folks who are saved. That explains the atrocities in our society with the mutilation of the body and the perversion of marriage and the insanity that we see in our society. That explains the attack on decency. Even folks who attend church attack those that want to live to a higher standard. That is the spirit of antichrist. Even now, as we sit here, there's no telling the number of demonic spirits that are swarming outside of this place waiting to entrap and ensnare and destroy you and I. I don't like talking about this. I was preaching in an, another state and a man who was a friend of mine at the time began to dive into demonism, Satanism, and evil spirits. And I don't like to talk about it because then you start to see a boogeyman behind every door. Every shadow, every headache, everything in your life, you're thinking there's the devil again and oftentimes it's just you. But he got crazy about it and he wrote a, he wrote a book about it. And he began to get tormented. Now, those evil spirits cannot possess a Christian, but they do oppress Christians. 
And that man lost his mind, lost his marriage, and lost his ministry. So I don't like to talk about it, but the truth of it is, there are demons and devils and M's from hell that are just as real as Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Ghost. Said, who's, who's in there? And the man responded, Legion, for we are many. The only way we can explain the perversity of this hour is this, the spirit of Antichrist. The only way we can explain the denial of truth by the public is the spirit of Antichrist. The only way we can explain the devaluing of life and the lust for innocent blood, that is the Antichrist. The only way we can explain the propagandizing of sin given to even children and the numbness that saved people have to sin is the Antichrist. Why so much depression? Why so many people on drugs? Why so much death? Why such a lust for death? Why so many diseases and despair? Why so many people delusional and disagreeable? All of it is spiritual warfare declared by spiritual wickedness that sits in high places. I'm not saying the devil's behind every door, but God help us to live as though he might be. The music that is popular in the world has a spirit on it. The clothing that is pushed by the world has a spirit on it. If they can destroy gender distinction, they destroy society. And the devil is the author of anarchy. The culture that has overtaken us has a spirit on it. The agenda of world government has a spirit on it. You think, I can't believe that that man is that dumb to do that. He's not that dumb. Whoever you want to pick, she's not that dumb. They know what they're doing. Spiritual wickedness is after your home. It is after your mind. It's after your children. It's after this church, and it's after you. Tonight, the devil doesn't just take Christ. Sometimes I think that's what we think. The devil doesn't just take church. I think that's what we think. The devil doesn't just take Christianity. Sometimes I feel like that's what we think. But I want you to wake up and understand, in my life and in yours, the devil hates you. He is the antithesis to you that God is. Whatever God is, he's the opposite. If God is love, he is hate in your life. If God is peace, he is unrest in your life. If God is forgiveness, he is condemnation in your life. He's the tempter. He'll stare you. He accuses you and he attacks you and I every single day. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the Bible said he is the God of this world. He is not all-powerful but he's powerful enough. You ever notice why our world has an infatuation with zombies and death? I mean, you can't even go to, to, to the at-home store, but they sell that in the very front of the at-home store. I mean, to get to the doilies, you have to go past the walking dead, you know? You walk in there, scare you half to death. I mean, all the shows, all the shows now... Uh, I think it was when I went to pick up Lincoln, there's a TV in the airport that had Disney Channel on there, and all the advertisements were witchcraft, witches. There's one show on there, and I forget the name of it. We were talking about it. What's the name of it? Yell out. You're loud, Devin. Yeah, Little Demon. On Disney, that's the new name of their show. You ever notice how they're infatuated with death? Obsessed with death? Those of you who would laugh that off and take it lightly... Might be an illustration in a sermon one day. It's amazing to me. The average Christian today, and here's the issue, the average Christian today is so spiritually unaware of the war that they're engaged in that they unlock not just the door of their home, but the door of their heart to every Trojan horse that hell has. 
The Bible said that we're not to be ignorant of his devices. This is an hour to be armored. The Bible said we wrestle. It must be strange to Jesus Christ. He died for us. And it must be strange to the compassing witness that watches us from glory to see our love affair with a world that is so completely repulsed by you and I. Every breath this world breathes is tainted with hell and hatred for the Christian. That's why Jude said you must earnestly contend for the faith. He's not saying faith, reliance in God. He's saying truth. Because he knew a day would come when truth would be so muddied and maligned and so perverted and twisted and thrown out. He said, you must contend for the faith. And tonight, as we inch our way further down the eschatological pathway, the days become more and more overtaken by error and iniquity. And we sing, this world is not my home, and that is true. But let us not forget, while it is not our home, it is our battlefield. One of our men that's over, overseas texted me yesterday to check in on my dad. That's an amazing thing to me that he'd do that. And I said, I, I, I'm praying for you. Pray that you're safe. He said, I can't wait to get home. Yeah, yeah. And that's how the Christian ought to feel. But we've got to remember that we're not home yet. Paul told Timothy, this know also in the last days perilous times shall come. You must be sober. You've got to watch. And you've got to wrestle. Now, Job chapter number one, I'll apply it and we'll be through. In Job chapter number one, we're offered a look at spiritual wickedness at work in the highest place of all. The devil comes before the presence of God. In this chapter, we're introduced to Job, and we're also introduced to Job's adversary. Job's a spiritual man. He's a wealthy man. He's a blessed man. But more than all of that, Job is a soldier in a real battle. And I want you to think about it tonight. If Job was not exempt from battle, you and I are not exempt from battle. There's a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And along with this group of angels came the devil. The devil did not come to present himself. He came to pick a fight. He came to accuse. In conversation with God, the name of Job is brought up. God mentions Job and how faithful he's been. And then all of a sudden, God, the devil doesn't just accuse Job. He accuses God as well. The devil has access to Job and a wrestling match unfolds in the chapter and the devil unleashes his fury upon the life of this man. Now I want you to be aware this evening that the devil of Job 1 is also the devil of 2022. He is just as real, he's just as vicious, and he's just as active. There's a battle that ensues and I want you to notice it's ensuing on three fronts. The battle is waged in his mind. The battle is waged on his soul, and the battle is waged on his body. Just like Christ in his temptation, Job wrestles with the devil. He's attacked in his thinking, he's attacked in his emotions, he's attacked in his flesh. And I want you to know those are the same fronts that spiritual wickedness bombards you and I almost every single day. First, I believe, Job's attacked in his mind. In verse 13 down through verse 17, Job gets word that his finances are taken away. Now, that would strike you emotionally, sure, but not as emotionally as the next one. His flocks, his fields, and his servants are either murdered or they're stolen. Can you imagine how that would begin to work on his head? How is he going to provide for his family? How is he going to maintain his property? How is he going to make it through another day? And you say, well, Job just hit a stretch of bad luck. No, the devil purposely targeted his thinking. Then the devil lowers his crosshairs, I believe, on his soul, his emotional seat. Because in the next section of Scripture, verse 18 and 19, Job gets word his children are killed. Can you imagine the torment? 
Can you imagine the tears and the heartache that Job would feel getting the news that his children are dead? Thirdly, Job attacks the area of the, or the devil attacks the area of Job's body. In chapter 2, and I know you know the story, so we don't need to take time for it. Job's body is touched by the devil and is covered with boils. The battle continues throughout the book of Job, but really it's on those three fronts. But what I like about the story of Job is you read it, and Job came out victorious in his battle. For a moment, I want to just think on this thought. You've got to realize who you're wrestling and then realize how to win. And I'm just going to give you four points. I won't preach them because I don't need to preach them. But they're in verse 1 of the book of Job. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, let me read it to you. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So I'm going to look at Job's weaponry. We'll get into Ephesians 6 more as we go on, but we've got time. And tonight I just want to give you some attributes that Job possessed that helped him overcome in spiritual warfare. Here it is. Number one, how do you wrestle and win? Look what it says, verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and the man was perfect. How can you survive spiritual warfare? Number one, you've got to be serious about maturity. I taught it in Sunday school on Sunday morning from 2 Peter chapter 2, that apostates always target those who are, here's the word, unstable. You know what that means? Spiritually immature. They are babes in Christ. It doesn't mean that they're in the teen department. It just means they might be 70, but they've never grown in grace. You know why it's important that you know your Bible? Because you're in a battle. You need to be more than just a milk drinker. You need to be a meat eater. Say amen right there, all the vegetarians. You can like it, lump it, take it, or dump it. That's Bible. Never is that talked about in good connotation, ever. Vegetarianism, never. Man, I'm feeling good about that. But anyway, never is it. That's why it's so important that we teach the Word of God to you and preach the Word of God and that you for yourself study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth, is given thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Word of God is your strength. It's your sword. Thank God for the Bible. But we must not be spiritual babes. You will not survive an attack. That's why so much, there's so much... There's so little discernment. You can't tell me you're not inviting demonic things into your home watching those R-rated horror movies. I know it's about to be Halloween. By the way, it's sad, isn't it? People decorate more for Halloween than Christmas. But you can't tell me that that's spiritual discernment and that the Holy Ghost said, that's a good movie to watch right there. When you watch all that stuff. Hello? Or let your kids watch it via the Disney Channel or whatever channel it's on. I say, here's a good idea. Let's let, let's let Junior dress up like a ghost or a skeleton or a vampire and go walk around. Maybe we'll hand out a track from North Valley in the process. You can't tell me you're not inviting trouble into your life. Job was serious about maturity. 1 Timothy 3.6 says, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. That word perfect means established or anchored or rooted or grounded. It means they are strong in the faith. In Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. If that's not the devil, I don't know what is, but it's amazing. That's why so many folks buy into so much junk on Facebook. Facebook and some theologian with a Twitter account that's never even been born again and they just get sucked into these little fringe movements and bad doctrine and apostasy, have no clue about it. They're not spiritually mature. Number two, Job was not just serious about maturity, he was serious about piety. 
The Bible said in verse number one, he was very, or piety, piety, he said, look at what it says. He was perfect, and now watch this word, upright. You know what that word means? Without deviation. It means straight. I don't know if they still talk like this or not, but when we were growing up, we'd say, you straight? It didn't mean, are you not homosexual? It just means, you all right? You say, you straight? Yeah, I'm straight. It means, you, you doing okay? If you look at Job's life, you'd say, man, that guy's doing okay. He is walking the line. He, he's straight. He's sound. It's the opposite of being crooked. What it means is Job didn't just believe right. He did right. He maintained his integrity, the Bible says of Job. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 said, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Ephesians 4, 24, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's a reason to try and live what you say you believe, because if you live what you say you believe, it strengthens what you believe. And when folks come and cause you to doubt and the devil begins to tempt you, Thank God you can stand like a tree that is planted, rooted by a river of water because your life matches your lips. All right, number three. Job wasn't just serious about maturity and serious about uh, being pious. He was also serious about humility. This is probably one of the most important parts. Look what it said. In one that feared God. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I want you to hear this statement. Reverence breeds reliance. Yes, sir. Because reverence advertises the fact that I know I'm not all that in a bag of flaming Hot Cheetos, Caleb. Now you're not going to stay with me. You're think about dinner tonight. Reverence means I'm weak and he's strong. I'm low and he's high. I'm man and he's God. I'm creation and he is creator. I am not in charge. I understand this. My flesh is weak. That's why it must be mortified. I need him. I've got to stand in the power of his might. Devotion is dictated by your awe of God. You will not be faithful to God if you don't have an awe of him. If you don't see him high and lifted up. That's why the contemporary movement is so anti-Christ. Because they are attempting, the, on, on the whole, to, it's human, to bring God down to man's level. Pantheism, humanism, they're trying to dethrone God in His holiness and His righteousness and His majesty. And bring Him down to a level that carnality can be comfortable with. But I tell you what that does, you lose your reverence. And I believe the only way a man can make it in spiritual warfare is he's going to have to understand that he needs God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Then lastly, number four, Job was serious about iniquity. Serious about iniquity. Look what it says at the end of the verse. He's one that feared God, but watch this. He eschewed evil. That word eschewed basically means he ran away from it. He, he, he stayed as far from it as he could. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord talks about is to hate evil. Small evil, large evil. Small sins leech away our fear of God. Small sins that you get away with slowly erode your reverence, your respect, your fear. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee. That's so powerful. Flee also youthful lusts. 
Romans 6.12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. It didn't used to seem crazy to people, but now it does. But we still try to practice that. I think we've always practiced that. don't think I've ever failed in this. But I don't go out to eat with, with a group of people. If somebody at that big table, there could be 20 people there. If they're going to have a glass of wine on the table, I'm not going to sit at the table. That's all appearance of evil. You say, well, why don't we go witness in the bar rooms? Because that's the last thing I want is for you to drive by and see me coming out of the bar. You say, but you could do a lot of good in there, not as much harm as I'll do without. Because one person drives by and sees me coming out, they're not going to think I was in there witnessing. Wouldn't that be nice if everybody thought the best? Nobody wants to think the best. They're going to think you are in there with Miss Kitty, you know, gun smoke reference. But they're going to think you're in the saloon there kicking it back with Marshall Dillon. Right? Your flesh is gunpowder. Sin is spark. And as you and I would try to keep gunpowder from fire, we should attempt, and I know we'll fall and fail daily, but we should attempt to abhor it and askew it. It says we wrestle. If you ever see somebody wrestling, now probably you don't do it here, but where I grew up, everybody's, everybody's a redneck. It's just what you are. We call them Americans. But anyway, it's just what you are. <laughs> But I went, to, I went to a public high school, not a Christian school. Thank God for Christian education. But there's one thing you don't learn in the Christian school that we did, and that's how to beat each other up. <laughs> Where I went to school, they had one hallway that was the ag, ag, ag hallway, all the agricultural kids down there. And when the bell would ring, they'd run down that hallway, and they'd, they'd be cutting gears and you know, popping clutches. They, didn't, they weren't driving, but they'd make the sounds. Like, they'd run down the hallway. I mean, they were, just, they were, just, they were farm people. And then you had a hallway where there was all like the jock people and things. And then you had other places. People fight all the time. Have you ever been in a fight before? I mean, you ever really get into a fight? You do not casually fight. A couple of reasons why. Because you don't want to get hurt. And you don't want your pride to get hurt. And whoever the girl is you're fighting for, you want to... Anyway, that's, that's a, I digress. It's not a Christian school. But you fight, Brother Whitlow, don't you? I mean, you give it all you got. If you're hurt, you just play hurt. You fight on. You hit and hurt your finger, you fight on. Amen. Why? Because you don't want to lose. Can you imagine if you thought somebody was going to take your life, how much you'd fight to preserve your life? Or your family's life, how much you'd fight to save your family? There's more, more real than that. There's a fight going on right now for you. And there's a fight going on for your family if you have family. And with the tenacity 10,000 times greater than you would fight physically, we need to be fighting spiritually. We wrestle spiritual wickedness in high places, but we must wrestle. I'm going to pray the altar is open. Maybe, listen, maybe some parents need to inventory what you're allowing in your home. Maybe you need to inventory what you're allowing in your heart. Maybe you need to look at your life and think about what's been going on in your head and ask the real question. Have I been wrestling but not winning? Have I been wrestling but not aware in my armor? Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, 
visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.